I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Hello. You're listening to Muses. That's right. Part of the Pantheon podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I should, we should, because it's funny, we should mention that we're both sitting here in the most summeriest of clothes. Mm -hmm. We were both wearing really nice dresses. Yes, we were. Really pretty dresses. But we're actually going out somewhere very special tonight. Yeah, we, we are. We should talk about it. Well, we're going to get to see little Steven perform. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Maureen Van Zandt, his wife, who we interviewed. And if you haven't listened to that, go back. Great interview. Maureen's amazing. And uh, yeah, I'm just so excited uh, that Steven's here and he's playing the Danforth, which is my second home. So that's going to be fun. So we'll head there. We'll go to the box office. We'll pick up some tickets. We'll pick up our passes. And then we get to meet little Steven before the show. Yeah, we do. So that's super fun. That's always nice to be able to, to do that and then en enjoy a show with a little la pass lanyard around your neck. Yeah, this will be fun. So anyways, we've been recording a few Patreon things here and doing some work. And we want the best sound quality possible. So we've got the door closed, no fans on. So we're both sweating through our dresses. <laughs> yeah, it's a little it's a little sticky out there. Yeah. I think it feels like 38 today. Oh, yeah, because like... of our because we have a we have American, primarily American listeners. So I don't know what um, 30, 30 degrees Celsius is in Fahrenheit. But we uh, we got on some sort of old dresses, and so now we're just sitting around. It's a and... hundred. Oh, okay. So it's pretty sweaty out there. No, we're, we're not here, complaining. I mean, no. I, I cried all through this winter, so I'm exactly. not complaining. Oh, yeah, about, no complaints about how hot it is. But I would I think much it's just rather. Cute. Yes, I would much rather this than dead of winter. So, I, yeah, I'm enjoying every minute. Went swimming yesterday. I'm trying to check out every swimming pool in toronto that's like my goal for the summer that is a wonderful goal yeah now you celebrated a birthday recently because our shows are coming out bi-weekly and sometimes we record a couple in a day not usually more than that um you know it might be a little bit past your birthday but for us it's just recently happened so it happy did. birthday and how Thank did you, you celebrate I went with some of my Danforth buddies. We went to see the Blue Jays play. I'd never been to a baseball game before, so 
from it just Toronto, like something Canada. fun. And one of my friends, Caroline, she's from Scotland, and she's also host, never been to a baseball game. Baseball doesn't really exist out there, so Part it was a first Pantheon for both of us. Found out that the Blue Jays kind of suck, but... uh oh, my tickets are so cheap. Yeah, yeah, Music. it was still fun, and it was like a jersey day, and we all got a free Blue Jay jersey, which oh, is fun. like Culture. extra, extra large, so I gave it to my pops, Technology. and uh, he was happy with and it, and, rock and roll. he's a huge baseball fan, actually, like the number so 11 was on the back, and he was like, passes. oh, like he knew exactly like what show. player it was and everything, so yeah, um, he was happy, and then we just, yeah, hung out, and... I am. Um, I got a new bike for my birthday. That's uh, so sweet. Yeah, what a beautiful gift. Got to go biking all around the city, and that was like so much fun. And it is. It's been about a decade since I've been on a bike, and it is. I there's a reason that that saying, you know, just like riding a bike. You know, you get back on it. Like within ten minutes, I was like, oh yeah, like I got this. And, I can do this. Yeah. Yes, fantastic. I, was little, I had like a little like Bambi moment when I first got on it, but that sorted itself out in like a minute. So, well, that's a nice segue into Sheena. Yeah, <laughs> because I bought a, a bike off of Sheena a few summers ago, and it was stolen within no! days. Yeah, yeah, because um, I was like, I can't find my good quality U-lock. And I lived on a very busy street in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'll find it tomorrow. And honestly, within a couple of days with just a regular chain, it had been cut and stolen. I'm so sh- sorry, Sheena. But also speaking of you, thank you and we love you for becoming one of our newest patrons. patrons. Yeah. I believe they are a patron. Oh, sorry. Right? Yeah, I think they are. Oh, yeah, they're a patron for, for the Patreon. Patreon. So thank you to our newest subscriber, Sheena. We love you. We also gave you a thank you in the newest Patreon episode, but we also have to let everybody know that you're amazing. We appreciate you. And if anybody else is curious about uh, some bonus content, head over to patreon.com slash muses podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Sheena. Yeah. So do I look more tan? Have you, you noticed? You do, actually. Look at my 100%. back. I was looking at your face when you were sitting next to me, and uh, I could really I could really see it. Yeah. How was your trip? I, it was beautiful. I went to Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island, mm-hmm. and I went swimming in the ocean, and I jumped in, and I felt that salt water in my mouth, which is quite a difference because you can't really swim anywhere in Toronto that's not a pool. Yeah. They have the signs everywhere being like, not safe don't, go in don't here. do it yeah so i prefer you know a body of water like that and i walked around halifax and i can hardly walk today oh, yeah. i my buns are so sore from walking up and down those hills i walked across the citadel and there's so many hills in halifax and uh, i caught shin splints what so i could hardly walk through the airport yesterday tj was like we got to catch the train in 10 minutes and i'm just like oh, <laughs> but man. anyways all good beautiful trip and happy to be back here to get some work done yeah so speaking of um i'm presenting this uh week's episode and this is a little different, and I've been excited about this one. I'm going to talk about all of the people that are mentioned in Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. Do, 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 do. Exactly. So just a little information on the song itself. It was released in November 8, 1972, and it was on Lou Reed's incredible album, Transformer. I love that album. And this song was actually produced by David Bowie and Mick Ronson. Very cool. Yeah. So, obviously talking about five different people, I'm not going to be giving as in-depth a biography on all of them as I normally would if it were just dedicated to one person. But I'll tell everyone, you know, where to look elsewhere if you want a more in-depth look. All these people are so incredible and definitely deserve it. Um, So, the song itself came about because Andy Warhol went to Lou as he did quite a lot and was like, you know, you should write a song about the people in the factory. And he wrote a couple songs about people in that world. This one is about some pretty unique ones. So I'm going to read the verse to get 
an idea of who we're talking about here, and then I'll talk about the people. So in the song, it starts saying, Holly came from Miami, FLA, hitchhiked her way across the USA, plucked her eyebrows on the way, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. She said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. So Hollywood Lawn was originally born Geraldo Santiago Franceschi Rodriguez Danco. That's quite a name. Quite a mouthful. Yeah. On October 26, 1946 in Puerto Rico. But as the song says, Holly actually grew up in Miami. When Holly was six, her family moved there. And from what I've read, Holly knew very on that she was different. And she knew Miami wasn't exactly the place where she was going to, you know, evolve and shine and become who she was meant to be. Probably not. Yeah. In an interview with The Guardian, Holly had said, I was 15 years old and failing at high school in Miami Beach because I was too busy partying. I was supposed to go to summer school to catch up and really didn't want to. So I joined some of these Cuban queens to go to New York. I hawked some jewelry and we made it all the way to Georgia where the money ran out and we had to hitchhike the rest of the way. Atlanta, Georgia of all places. You could expect to be tarred and feathered and murdered in those days. But we survived and I remember the first time I saw New York, the Emerald City. I thought the sidewalks were made of diamonds because of the specks of mica and the asphalt. It was 1962. Marilyn had just died. I lived on the streets like everyone does when they run away. I met some girlfriends who took me in, and we found a place in Queens. I was really lucky. I met this guy who fell in love with me and asked me to be his girlfriend. I started taking hormones for a sex change and lived as his wife, working in the days as a clothing model at Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh, the things I did. And for six or seven years, they never knew I was a boy. Not a clue. Amazing. Yeah, right? So Holly changed her name from Geraldo to Holly after her favorite character, Holly Golightly from Mm. Breakfast at Tiffany's. I almost said the breakfast club there. (laughs) I was like, nope, wrong breakfast. (laughs) Um, So Holly along with many of the other people I'm going to be talking about, like Candy and Jackie, they were all obsessed with old Hollywood stars, which I also am. And you can see that in a lot of the photographs of them during that time. They would all be able to kind of quote the lines from the old films. They really admired people like Greta Garbo, like Dietrich, Clara Bow, you know, all those incredible women who had their own very unique look to them and everything. And they really took that look and that vibe from old Hollywood and brought it into the 60s underground culture. And that was, uh, you know, something that no one had seen before as well, like in the 60s. So Holly actually never had a complete sex change, uh, though she lived as Holly, of course, for the rest of her life. She was Holly. It wasn't until 1969 that she became a Warhol factory regular. She says, I was very happy when I gradually became a Warhol superstar. I felt like Elizabeth Taylor. Little did I realize that not only would there be no money, but that your star would flicker for two seconds and that was it. But it was worth it. The drugs, the parties, it was fabulous. (laughs) You live in a hovel, walk up five flights, scraping for rent. Then at night, you go to Max's Kansas City, where Mick Jagger or, and Fellini and everyone is there in the back room. And when you walk in that room, you were a star. <laughs> so Holly did two major films that were produced by Warhol. One was called Trash and the other Women in Revolt. Uh, both of which also starred Candy, Joe, and Jackie, who I will be talking about in this episode. So this is all super fascinating. And when Holly is speaking about herself, mm-hmm. we're in the 60s still? I, those quotes were from an interview later in life. Okay, so here's and and here's the thing. And this is, I love that you've taken on this as... Um, 
an episode. I think that it's super fascinating and very important. And because I I listen all the time, like, you know, Dan Savage and, and uh, we want to be really like concise about... Um, you know, proper gendering and using the right terms and whatnot. It was Holly who was using the term uh, sex change, correct? Yeah. But you're going to be referring to as, and it's the quotes that Holly is using and then we're using those terms, but things like sex change are now called gender confirmation surgery. Mm -hmm. So if we get a term wrong, we're just going to say that we're trying our best absolutely and uh, a lot of the stuff is taken from those quotes back then and of course if there's any constructive uh feedback that we can know too that's it's, always good to be open yes, to and it is, it's such a sensitive for sure and so holly did a lot of off-broadway work as well as nightclub acts and she actually did one with jackie curtis which again i'll tell you all about jackie jackie's amazing um, in 1982, Holly worked as a coach, actually, to Dustin Hoffman for Tootsie mm. and, um, you know, t- caught him how to tap into that feminine side. So Holly ended up moving in the early 90s to Hollywood and she stayed there until she passed away. And that was when she was 69 years old on December 6, 2015. And unfortunately, she passed away from cancer. In 1992, she actually published a memoir called A Low Life in High Heels. Mm-hmm. Fabulous title. Unfortunately, it's out of print and incredibly expensive. I was I, was, I tried to find it and it was like thousands of dollars on, on thousands. Amazon. Thousands. Yeah. So wow. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I'm always on the hunt. If you've read it, if you have a copy out there, tell me about it. I would love to learn more about Holly. Penny Arcade. Uh, another fabulous woman from that era who is an incredible artist herself and she she was really good friends with all of these people she gave a quote that i really loved about holly which was holly gave visibility long before it was comfortable to do so and also gave thousands of people both hope and pleasure oh yeah so that's a little about holly plenty more out there if you want to look her up Support for today's show comes from HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get easy seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. All you have to do is cook and enjoy. When it comes to cooking, you can say that I'm a beginner, but HelloFresh makes me feel like a pro. They make cooking delicious meals at home a reality regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. With step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients, you'll have everything you need to get a wow-worthy dinner on the table in just 30 minutes. The selection is truly great. There's really something for everyone from family recipes to calorie smart or vegetarian and fun menu series like Hall of Fame and Kraft Burgers. HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you'll get something delicious. Yes, HelloFresh is also flexible to fit all lifestyles. You can add extra meals to your weekly order, as well as yummy sides like garlic bread and cookie dough. You can also easily change your delivery days, food preferences, and skip a week whenever you need. I've been thinking about trying HelloFresh for a while, and I'm seriously glad that I did. I'm not even kidding. It was absolutely delicious. I was really, really impressed. I had the pan-seared steak, and it is honestly some of the best steak that I've ever had. Wow. I had to eat it on my own because TJ's not here, so I was sending him photos, and I said, I wish you were here. This was so good, and... He must have been so jealous. We are going to eat some of this when he gets back. Like, I am in. I also tried the Mushu pork tacos. And honestly, pork and cabbage, sesame oil is my favorite combination. And I'm really looking forward to trying the crispy chicken parmigiana. Well, as a vegetarian, I find it's not always easy to mix things up. But HelloFresh really did give me great variety. This week, I've impressed some friends by cooking their one-pot Mexican quinoa and black bean recipe, and I made myself the most delicious grilled halloumi burger with rosemary potato wedges. Mmm, it was so good. Really looking forward to trying their miso tofu stir-fry recipe tonight. So, are you feeling hungry yet, listeners? HelloFresh has an amazing offer for you. 
For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Muses80 and enter Muses80. Yeah, that's like receiving eight free meals. Again, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash Muses80 and enter Muses80, M-U-S-E-S, 80. And guess what, Canadian listeners? They deliver to us too. Yes. Now I'm going to talk about probably the most well-known of all of them, Candy Darling. So her I've verse... I've definitely heard that name yes. before. Her verse in the song goes candy came from out on the island in the back room she was everybody's darling but she never lost her head even when she was given head she says hey babe take a walk on the lawn side i'm pumping my fist in the air because i'm so excited about that so candy darling was born james lawrence slattery on november 24th 1944 in queens and she grew up on long island Her parents divorced when she was very young, and she was raised by her mother. Uh, Her father was very abusive, and Candy, like so many other muses and stars we learn of, had quite a difficult time growing up. In Candy's journals, she wrote, I've lived most of my life starving for affection, both spiritual and emotional hunger. I lived through movie stars. Most of my teen and preteen years were spent very lonely looking at movie magazines. I was in love with Lawrence Harvey. Every day I'd watch the million dollar movie and long for him. Nobody loves me or wants me. I lead a dull and uninteresting existence. I'm in homeroom now, and there's a bunch of chicks in here, and they all hate me. Someday, I'll be a movie star. That's it. I'll be rich and famous and have all the friends I want. Oh, my heart, right? As far as the female stars went, Kim Novak was the ultimate woman to Candy. She really admired her blonde white hair and her strength on screen and really dreamed of being a movie star like her. And she would like rehearse scenes that Kim Novak did in, you know, some of her films and she she just had them down. Candy actually even wrote to Kim and she got a letter back and a photograph, Mm. you know, with uh, her autograph on it and everything. So yeah, Kim Novak made a deep impression on her. And Candy, like so many other muses and stars we learn about, you know, was kind of a loner growing up and had a difficult time in school. She was relentlessly bullied until she dropped out at 16 after apparently, and this just blew my mind, some of her male schoolmates threatened to lynch her. No. It's it's so awful, like, what people do to each other. Like, I, I, I can't... I can't even imagine. I'm so glad she got out of there and still was who she was, you know? One of my best friends in high school, so I don't know if I've talked about this, or I think maybe to you, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. It's possible that I have, but I had such a difficult time in high school because I grew up just um, lower middle class, I guess you would call it. I'm not even really sure, but uh, just really like simple means. Like Mm -hmm. we didn't, we didn't have too much extra we had what we needed but not too much extra yeah we didn't take vacations whatnot but I went to I left my hometown to go to a high school that was about 45 minutes out of town and I didn't realize that it was like the academic slash slash sports high school and all of the students um came from very well-to-do families so uh they had the mansions in the city and I'm talking mansions yeah and so doctors and lawyers kids and whatnot and a friend of mine at the time was overweight and one of the guys threatened to kill her with a gun that was a thing that happened to my best friend and uh horrific she yeah 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 i am happy to say that she is kicking the most ass out of every anybody of i she know is. yeah uh in the whole world and she could literally be anywhere in the world right now like you name a place and it's possible that she's there she's right there. now that's that's good for her yeah and she's you know, like super into extreme sports and <sighs> yoga and she's the, she like, sounds the funniest and most beautiful person i've ever met and wow. uh yeah i mean that's yeah. the thing too like if you're in a bad situation there there is life after that you know uh 
high school man I, Ugh, right it's brutal can't for pay me to go back there so in 1961 candy took a course in cosmetology and that's sort of when she began finding her feminine side dressing in women's clothing practicing makeup she ended up being outed to her mother by a neighbor who told her that candy had been going to gay bars and that she had been seen you know in drag her mother confronted her about it and candy told her like yes i'm i'm gay and she actually made her mother sit down she left the room went back in transformed from jimmy to candy right and there's a beautiful quote um his mother later said i knew then i couldn't stop jimmy candy was just too beautiful and talented oh good mama right for you So that's when Candy began going to Manhattan more and more, hanging out in Greenwich Village, meeting like-minded people. It's around then that Candy met Jackie Curtis, and this was when Candy was still going as James. So Curtis really took Candy under his wing, and they were very, like, super, super close. In 1966, Candy met a man named Jeremiah Newton, and they became very close. They were roommates. Candy really actually lived with um, Jeremiah until she passed away. But we're not quite there yet. Before Candy was Candy, before she found her name, Candy Darling, she was for a few you know, months known as Hope Slattery. Um, mm, don't love that one as much, but okay. Holly Woodlawn has actually said that Candy tried out several other names hope doll candy doll candy cane until finally she found candy darling candy's entrance into andy warhol's world happened when warhol attended a play that jackie curtis had written and directed called glamour glory and gold so glamour glory and gold one of jackie's plays a little fun fact on that it was actually Robert De Niro's first acting gig as well. Oh, that's like when he was a cute, a little baby. He was cute. He was so cute. And yeah, Candy was in that and a whole bunch of other people. And Jackie had actually invited Andy Warhol to come to the play. So that was sort of their introduction to the factory world. Warhol, of course, saw what a star Candy was and how talented all of them were. And Warhol cast Candy in a short scene in Flesh, which would also star Jackie Curtis and Joe D'Alessandro, and all of them in Women in Revolt. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. So the premise is of Women in Revolt is that Holly and Jackie form a small group of women libbers and they convince Candy, who plays this wealthy socialite, to join them. So this is when Candy first gets like a real taste of fame. People are starting to notice her, not just the Manhattan crowd, but, you know, people all over. Like, who is this gorgeous creature? I can't wait to see photos Um, of all these beautiful women. Candy 
was incredible. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, in photos, she looks amazing. I imagine in person, she must have been, like, all the more magnetic. Um, also, another big admirer of Candy's, and this, you'll, you'll love this, was Tennessee Williams. Oh, funny. Yeah. Well, not funny, but we were just talking about Tennessee yeah. Williams in our Patreon episode. So he saw Candy's talent, and he actually cast her in his off-Broadway production of his play Small Craft Warnings. Oh, I haven't read that one. Yeah. Candy plays a character named Violet, who is described, not by me, as a trampy character that all the men lust after. Okay, I have a funny story for you. So when my grandmother was alive, my grandmother's not been with us for maybe 10 years now, and she lived to be 88. Mm -hmm. And my cousins and my uncle got her a cat, and this cat had been kind of a rescue from the neighborhood, and they were like, Nanny, what do you want to name her? And she was like, Tramp! (laughs) (laughs) because you know with like lady in the tramp you know like that kind of meant something a little bit different (laughs) and they were like how about we call her bella (laughs) amazing i'm pretty sure candy loved being called a tramp in that though but i think being called a tramp wait being mm, called a tramp. tramp and tramp i don't know for same sure thing but they're different and it's interesting that's interesting too because like if you call a man a tramp you're thinking like like a homeless person lady is a tramp yeah and then if it's a woman you're thinking like that she's wild yes. on the streets yes exactly and that could mean many things yeah and not mean other things candy Moving on. yeah candy was also in some other plays that um, after that, but things were also getting rough. Just like Edie Sedgwick's story, Warhol, you know, uses people and he used Candy and kind of spat her out as well. She thought she was going to be his right hand woman, you know, that together they would make a ton of films. Like he would be there, you know, helping her rise to fame and, you know, making money and everything. But after Flesh and Women in Revolt, Warhol moved on. He didn't put her in his next film and he didn't even invite her to the premiere of it, which definitely hurt her. And this kind of led to some pretty dark days in Candy's life. Just like all the others, she found it very difficult to make that jump to mainstream films, which is what she truly wanted. She wanted to be a star. She wanted to act in films. And there's a sad quote from Candy. She said, I feel like I'm living in a prison. There are so many things I may not experience. I cannot go swimming, can't visit relatives, can't get a job, can't have a boyfriend. I see so much of life I cannot have. I'm living in a veritable prison. So things are actually getting much worse for her as well because her health began to take a turn for the worst. She never had gender confirmation gender surgery. Gender confirmation surgery. Um, But obviously that was something that she was considering and she had been taking these Swedish hormone pills and after a few years on these pills, she discovered she had cancer and that cancer was most likely brought on by those pills, by the hormones and those pills were taken off the market like later. So Candy actually passed away when she was only 29 years old. Oh, that's devastating. Yeah. On March 21st, 1974, she was so young. Um, she There's actually a photo of Candy in the hospital, basically on her deathbed, but she's all dolled up. She actually asked the photographer to come and take, like she wanted that photo. Um, and she she looks unbelievably gorgeous, like you would never know, but that was sort of it for her. And she actually wrote a letter. She wrote, to whom it may concern... By the time you read this, I will be gone. Unfortunately, before my death, I had no desire left for life. Even with all my friends and my career on the upswing, I felt too empty to go on in this unreal existence. I am just so bored by everything. You might say I'm bored to death. It may sound ridiculous, but it's true. I have arranged my own funeral arrangements and a guest list, and it is paid for. I would like to say goodbye to Jackie Curtis. I think you're fabulous. Holly, Sam Green... A true friend and noble person. Ron Link, I'll never forget you. Andy Warhol, what can I say? Oh. Paul Morrissey, Lenny, you know I loved you. Andy, you too. 
Jeremiah, don't take it too badly. Just remember what a bitch I was. Geraldine, I guess you saw it coming. Richard Turley and Richard Galoob, I know I could have been a star, but I decided I didn't want it. Manuel, I'm better off now. Terry, I love you. Susan, I'm sorry. Did you know I couldn't last? I always knew it. I wish I could meet you all again. Goodbye for now. Love always, Candy Darling. Wow. So Lou Reed also wrote another song about Candy called Candy Says. In 2010, they made a documentary, a beautiful documentary called Beautiful Darling. And that's all about Candy and it's lovely. I highly recommend it. A lot of her friends are in it and tell great stories. They read pieces from her diary. You get a lot of clips of Candy just being Candy, you know, rehearsing her, you know, old Hollywood scenes and... Uh, she's just magnificent on screen. I also read a book called Candy Darling Memoirs of an Andy Warhol Superstar. Uh, I recommend that for those who want a deeper, you know, personal look into Candy's life and feelings. Who, like, but she didn't write it. Well, it was from her journals. Oh, okay. So yeah. it can be memoirs it, if it's yeah. a journal. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And that's interesting because, like, there's, like, recipes in it that she collected, just, like, musings. There's letters she wrote to people. It's a little collection of all things candy. And I thought I'd end her um, piece with a quote from her that I really love. I will not cease to be myself for foolish people, for foolish people make harsh judgments on me. You must always be yourself no matter what the price. It is the highest form of morality. Oh, yeah. Okay. And now a break in our show to tell you about ForHers.com. ForHers.com is a new women's wellness brand putting your body back in your control. Fought for by a woman for women. For Hers is helping women across the country get convenient and affordable access to birth control. No need to take travel time out of your already busy day. For Hers provides access to licensed doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe you birth control that can be delivered direct to your door. Now, for me living in Toronto, my doctor is at the other end of the city, and it takes me a good 45 minutes to an hour to get there. Same thing on the way back, depending on the bus. So honestly, getting there sometimes can take up half your day, a full day. Yeah, this is so convenient. And everyone's body is different. So for hers offers 10 well-known birth control options as well. Whether you're already taking birth control or have no idea where to start, For Hers will connect you to a doctor online who can help determine the option that will work best for you. So fantastic. Order now. Our listeners can get their first month off birth control from ForHers.com for just $5 right now while supplies last. And of course, subject to doctor approval. See their full website for details. So go to forhers.com slash muses. That's F-O-R-H-E-R-S dot com slash muses. M-U-S-E-S. Restrictions apply. See website for full details and safety information. So this next one. Little Joe never once gave it away. Everybody had to pay and pay. A hustle here, a hustle there. New York City was the place where they said, hey, babe. Take a walk on the wild side. Wow. Okay. I'm in it. So little Joe refers to the beautiful Joe D'Alessandro. Joe was born December 31st in 1948 in Pensacola, Florida. His dad was in the Navy. His mother was only six years old when Joe was born. So how long? Sorry. 16. Oh, my God. I'm like, how, how, uh, I said, I said, how long? I meant, what the fuck? I meant, how old? Because I wasn't sure if you said six or 60, and either of those were a little off. 16 years old. And I'm like, better? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Better than six, that's for sure. <laughs> so when Joe was five, his mother was charged with interstate auto theft and went away to serve five years in prison. His mother? Yeah. Alrighty then. So Joe and his brother ended up moving to New York to live with their father, but both were eventually placed in foster care. So until Joe was about 14, him and his brother moved to Queens and then lived with their parental grandparents. And I think their father was like kind of in and out. 
So it's not surprising by the time that Joe was in his early teens, he began acting out, getting into fights. He was expelled from school at 15 for punching the school principal. From there... Gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. From there, he got into gangs and petty crimes. He began to steal cars. When Joe was about 15 or 16, he ended up getting in a car accident. He stole a car. He smashed it up. The police stopped him, and Joe actually ended up getting shot in the leg by a police officer who mistakenly thought that he was armed with a gun. Quote, unquote, mistakenly. Yeah. So Joe actually got away, but he was later arrested because his dad took him to the hospital for the gunshot wound. And, you know, you kind of have to explain gunshot wounds. Mm. Since he was a minor, he was sentenced to a camp rehabilitation center in the Catskills. But within the year, he ran away from the camp and began to support himself by doing nude modeling in some short films and magazines, including Bob Miser's Athletic Model Guild. Bob Miser is very famous for his work, which really pushed the boundaries in regards to homoerotic content in that era. Have you ever modeled nude? No, but I've always kind of wanted to, because mm-hmm. you only got this body once. Yeah. I know you have. Actually, twice, now Amazing. that I think about it. The, mm, well, maybe more than that, if you can, cons- okay, so three, kind of. Um, once was when, month four? Okay. <laughs> we'll just talk about it two times. <laughs> once when, uh, my art school boyfriend, like, painted yeah. me nude. Mm-hmm. And then once when I posed for the goddess ray. So one is a painting and one is a photo. So I have posed nude. Actually, TJ was in um, an art show where I think they were supposed to be nude, but something happened. And so they just had to have like short shorts. And so there are these photos of him in university and he's like tall, you know, Alexander Skarsgård Mm -hmm. from like... Big Little Lies. Oh, I know. And like, you know, like, uh, that body type for me is, like, I'm humping the air. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's, like, I love that body type. And so he's so tall and thin, and he's, like, a little bit younger, and there's this picture of him in arts, in, like, in his art school with these little tiny shorts on, and so sexy. I'm, oh, man, I've had one drink, and I'm, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling it. Aww. Well, back to Joe. It oh, would be shit, a- I forgot his parents listen. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, it would be two years later in 1967 when Joe met Andy Warhol and Paul Morrissey for the first time. If you're unfamiliar with who Paul Morrissey is, he was really the main man behind all the big Warhol films. Uh, He was the writer, director, cinematographer. Andy really just produced them. He didn't really have much a role in the creation. So, yeah, you're watching like Paul Morrissey films, not Andy Warhol in in the later years, you know, when storylines actually began to form in his in his films. So the story of Joe meeting Andy and Paul is hilarious. And I'll use his own words to tell it. Joe said, This guy was famous for his Campbell soup, and I wanted to go down there and just get a bowl of soup. I loved that soup. They told me this guy was shooting a movie down there. When I got down there and watched what they were doing, I thought it was a home movie. This was not a real movie. It looked like a home movie to me. And they didn't have any soup, the bastards. (laughs) When they asked me to do a small role in one of the films, I said, sure, I'll do it. That was a 24-hour movie that Andy was shooting but it was cut down to a shorter film before they released it. It was shown only once in its entirety. When it cut when when they cut it down, it was called The Loves of Ondine, and that was my first movie with the Warhol people. When Paul approached me at the end of the shoot, he said, I'm going to need you to sign a release. I started laughing. I said, for what? You're not going to release this movie. It's just for you guys. <laughs> he said, no, this is a real movie. I just laughed and signed the release because I couldn't believe it. I told them I'd keep an eye out for him. I turned out to be wrong about it all. But the soup I got burned on. 
So yeah, Joe had no idea Andy Warhol was this artist. He just knew that he was somehow connected to Campbell's Soup okay. in some way. So he ended up wanting to get a bowl of soup and ended up getting a career in film. Wow. Yeah. So Joe became a big part of the films and starred in most of the big ones. Flesh, Trash, Heat, Flesh of Frankenstein, Blood for Dracula. Again, Joe knew nothing of the art of, you know, films. Um, He never intended to be an actor, but the camera clearly loved him. He's such a beautiful man. Paul Morrissey really took Joe under his wing and became his mentor. Uh, When they weren't filming, Joe also worked at the factory, sort of as like a security guard and also like helping with errands and whatnot. So Joe never transitioned. No, Joe's... He remained in his masculinity, but he was a muse. Yes, 100%. That's an interesting thing because many people think that Joe's real life was a reflection of the characters he played, which were often like drug addicts, hustlers... But Joe was a married man with a kid at the time that he began making films with Warhol and Morrissey. So I've read that Joe identifies as bisexual now, but he really only explored that side of him in, you know, these films and in this Warhol crowd. And because he was pushing so many boundaries on screen, he himself really became like a gay icon and gay alley without, you know, trying so okay because i guess when you originally said the quote i was maybe thinking that he was a sex worker Mm -hmm. but he played a lot of characters that were okay lou i believe had never actually met joe when he wrote the song okay so he knew him through the films okay cool makes sense yeah and like again he was like a nude model in like you know gay magazines and stuff so that i think people made assumptions Um, But, you know, being in the Warhol crowd and being in that world really helped him discover this new side of himself. He said, my introduction to the gay world did two things. One, it saved me from life in prison for murder, which is probably where I would have wound up. How? Because the gay world showed me that you didn't have to beat up every man you saw or hurt people to make a point. It gave me a whole other attitude, a calmer attitude. Two, it taught me to never be homophobic or even before even before there was such a term. I think because I grew up in a period, especially later on, when people I looked up to were like my heroes, that's what I liked about that period. That a man could say that he liked both. That he appreciated both the look of a man and the look of a woman without being stereotyped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Joe became like a cult icon almost immediately. And by 1971, he was crossing the mainstream boundaries. He was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Um, on it, he's holding his son. And um, photographers like Annie Leibovitz and Richard Avedon were shooting him. He was also getting attention from the European filmmakers. And in the 70s, he actually went over and worked with people like Louis Mal and Serge Gainsbourg. Oh, I'm dying to see a photo of him. He appeared in uh, Je T'aime Moi Non Plus. Oh, yeah. And in the 80s and 90s, he worked with people like Francis Ford Coppola and John Waters. He's in Crybaby. And uh, Steven Soderbergh. What's the best way to Google him? Just Joe D'Alessandro. Okay. How Joe's names got into Lou's song, like I said, he did not know him. Joe said, I didn't have a relationship with Lou back then. We hadn't met. We never talked. What happened was Lou wanted to have his own career away from the Velvets. Paul suggested he do a song about the people in the factory and the movies. Lou watched... Yes, that's him. Oh my God, Isn't he's he beautiful? hot. Oh God, yes. Oh, yeah, baby. So Lou Reed ended up watching Flesh, and he saw some of the people at Max's Kansas City as well. So that's when he sat down, wrote Walk on the Wild Side. But it was the character he wrote about, not about Joe. So Lou's song isn't the only musical connection Joe has. You're going to love this. The Rolling Stones' infamous crotch shot cover on Sticky Fingers... That's Joe's package. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And also, his torso is featured on the cover of the Smiths' debut album. Okay, I remember. We were in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah? You told me that. Oh, did I? Yes. Amazing. Yes. Yes. But now, you know, obviously I forget. Mm -hmm. And then 
Perfect. Love it. Um, That's never been like expressed by the stones or anything. But Joe says the stones covered is from Polaroids that Andy'd taken. I'm not sure Andy even knew which photo he chose or that it was me. Someone thought it would be a good one for the cover. I know it's me. I've seen myself. I've seen myself photographed down there. I know how I photographed. Those were my jeans. Uh, the inside is not me, a different person completely. We've had a lot of people from the factory say it's then. It's been some debate. I don't know how it was done, if Andy just shot the crotch or if it was a full length cropped, but I recognize that square on my body. And the Smith's album cover is from the movie Flesh. So they just took an image from it. Um, apparently, you know, they were fans of Joe. I'm a fan of Joe. I'm a fan of Joe, too. And Joe's still alive and kicking. He lives in L.A. with his third wife. He manages a, um, a building there. Um, for those who want more detail about Joe, I suggest checking out Michael Ferguson's book, Joe D'Alessandro, Warhol Superstar, Underground Film Icon, and Actor, which was published in 2011. Cool. So our next one on the list is The Sugar Plum Fairy. Sugar Plum Fairy came and hit the streets, looking for soul food and a place to eat. Went to the Apollo. You should have seen him go, go, go. They said, hey, sugar, take a walk on the wild side. I love it. So there's quite a lot of Sugar Plum Fairies back then, as the term was used as a euphemism for drug dealers. But in Lou's song, it refers to a man named Joe Campbell. Unfortunately, you can't really find much about Joe online, but I was able to gather a bit of information. He was nicknamed the Sugar Plum Fairy not because he was a dealer, but because he was in an Andy Warhol film in 1965 called My Hustler, and that was his character's name. So Joe was born in 1936. In 1955, he was 19 years old, and he met a young Harvey Milk, and they began dating. So they were together for seven years, They lived in New York and Dallas, Texas for a short while. Campbell would be Harvey Milk's longest relationship. After they split, for those who don't know who Harvey Milk is, Harvey Milk went into politics. He became the first openly gay man in California to hold elective office. Unfortunately, Milk was assassinated in 1978. And if you haven't seen it, Gus Van Zandt made a fantastic film all about Harvey Milk, called Milk, and Sean Penn plays the lead. I have seen it. Yeah. So while Harvey went west, Campbell stayed in New York. He met Andy Warhol, became one of the factory regulars. My Hustler was the only Warhol production that Campbell would be a part of, and he was definitely considered like a minor role in the Warhol crowd or stars as it goes. But, you know, he made enough of an impression for Lou to include him. Um, Campbell is most well known for his relationship with Harvey, and in the late 60s, he also dated a man named Oliver Billy Sibyl. He was a decorated Marine and Vietnam vet, and in 1975, there was this woman named Sarah Jane Moore, and she actually attempted to shoot President Ford, and Sibyl happened to be standing next to her, and when he realized what was happening, he grabbed her arm and prevented her from assassinating him. So it's sort of the men that he dated that became famous. And there's not much on Campbell himself. But he eventually left New York City. He headed to California as well. In 1993, he donated a lot of the letters that Harvey had written him to the Gay and Lesbian Historical Society in San Francisco. And Campbell ended up finding love with a man named Stanley Jensen. And they were together for 29 years until Joe Campbell passed away in 2005. Wow. So our last one, and one of the most fabulous ones, is Jackie Curtis. So Jackie is just speeding away. She thought she was James Dean for a day. Then I guess she had to crash. Valium would have helped that bash. She said, hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. I can't wait to play the song afterwards. (laughs) And you just have such a different, I don't know. Right? It's so cool to know about these people. What a great idea. You're so amazing. Okay, let's hear it. So 
I'm going to call Jackie he in this because I watched a fabulous documentary called Superstar in House Stress, which is all about Jackie and I highly recommend it. And all of Jackie's friends and peers refer to him as he. So I'm assuming that's what he wanted and what he preferred. Um, when asked about his sexuality once, Jackie said, I'm not a boy, not a girl, not a faggot, not a drag queen, not a trans transsexual. I'm just me, Jackie. So Jackie was born John Curtis Holder Jr. May I ask how Jackie is spelt? J-A-C-K-I-E. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because it could have, you know, it could have been like J-A-C-Q-U-I yeah. or, you know, it's... K-I-E. Cool. And Jackie was born February 19th, 1947 in New York City. He had one sibling, a half-brother named Timothy, who ended up becoming an openly gay Episco Ep Episcopal priest? Ep Episcopalian? Episcopalian priest. Say Episcopalian priest five times fast. Just kept Not even trying to try. <laughs> so Jackie was brought up in the Lower East Side. That's my dream right there. And was mostly raised by his maternal grandmother, who I... Um, like I love I wish I got to know this woman listen listen to her she had a huge impact on Jackie's life her grandmother was a well-known East Village character named Slugger Ann okay <laughs> and Slugger Ann had a bar on 12th and 2nd near St. Mark's Church that was also called Slugger Ann's obviously and that operated from the 50s until her death in the 1980s and Fun fact, Candy Darling actually worked there as a barmaid for a bit. I think all of them probably did. So Slugger Ann is described as this Mae West kind of character. And if you're curious about where she got her nickname, it was while she was working as a taxi dancer. If a man tried to grope her, she would slug them. And that's how she became Slugger Ann. So yeah, kind of in love with Jackie's grandmother. And it makes so much sense when you, when you see Jackie and you hear what she talks about and... Just her whole presence. Like, I imagine Slugrand must have been a huge influence. So Jackie grew up in and around that bar, observing and no doubt collecting material for his later work. Jackie sometimes tended bar there, and he would go back and forth from wearing jeans and a t-shirt and other times a dress, depending on his mood. Um, while it wasn't a gay bar, everyone knew that Jackie was Slugrand's grandson, and if they had a problem with Jackie, then they had a, a problem with Slugrand, and she was not going to have that. So that was a great place for Jackie to, you know, grow and explore and become who he would become. By the time he was 17, he was working in a theater, and he began to write his own plays. Jackie's considered a genius among his peers. He's a writer, an actor, a singer, a poet, a, mu a comedian. Um, Warhol once said, Jackie Curtis is not a drag queen. Jackie is an artist, a pioneer without a frontier. So Curtis performed both as a woman and as a man throughout his career. Um, he was also a, a drag queen who broke the mold. His goal wasn't to look as authentically female as possible, like Candy. Jackie was a big you know man and he knew he wasn't exactly going to pass as female so he went for the more camp look you know he didn't wear false boobs he didn't yeah he didn't try to look feminine he tried to look fun and just you know find his own thing so there was a theater group called playhouse of the ridiculous and another place called la mama and it's there that in, in these groups that Jackie really blossomed and began putting on his plays, which, while they may have, you know, confused some people, he always had a packed house. I wish I could go back in time and hang out in these theater groups. Jackie was the star of his plays, but there were so many incredible other artists that Jackie was working alongside. Like I mentioned, uh, Robert De Niro got a start there. He's working with Candy and Hollywoodlawn and Patti Smith and Penny Arcade and Harvey Firestein and, you know, um, Lily Tomlin. Like, there's just so wow. many. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jane County, just uh, so many, so many. Um, if you actually go on YouTube, you can find some clips from Jackie Curtis's play Femme Fatale, and you can see a bunch of those people in it. So check that out. I mentioned previously while talking about Candy that they met Warhol because Jackie invited him to his play. They actually first met Warhol in Greenwich Village. He had to give the invite first, of course. 
They asked for his autograph, invited him to see the play. Remember, glamour, glory, and gold. (laughs) And Warhol remembers the meeting like this. Walking just ahead of us was a boy, about 19 or 20, with wispy beetle bangs. And next to him was a tall, sensational blonde drag queen in very high heels and a sundress that she had made sure she had one strap falling onto her arm. Warhol attended the play and said, for the first time, I wasn't bored. Uh (laughs) And this led, again, to both of them entering the factory world and getting parts in, you know, the 1968 film Flesh, and then that led to Woman in Revolt. Um, Jackie continued to write his own plays. I think he wrote a total of about 10, and he was also an amazing poet, and he has a piece called B-Girls, which was basically about Slugger Anns and like all the women he would see there. And it's really amazing. It's, it's a really great piece. So Jackie went back and forth from being Jackie the woman to Jackie the man. And the line in the song about wanting to be James Dean, that was real. Jackie had a love and fascination for James Dean and dreamt of playing James on stage. And for a period of time in the 70s, people talk now about how he was almost doing like male drag because he made himself into James Dean. Like he became that persona for a while. fascinating. Yeah. Unfortunately, just like so many other incredible artists of the time, Jackie struggled with addiction and alcoholism. Judging by the documentary I watched, he probably suffered from depression and possibly bipolar even, though that could have been like the drugs, you know, leading to mood swings, you know. If you're doing heroin and speed and booze and, you know, uppers, downers, just mixing them all the time, you're going to have some highs and lows. Oh, yeah. We were on vacation, like we said, in Nova Scotia. And after three days of drinking, and not even that much, but it was three days of of drinking alcohol. I woke up the fourth morning (laughs) crying. Yeah. Yeah. So Jackie had had some overdoses before, but unfortunately... On May 15th, 1985, he overdosed and that time passed away. Mm. He was only 38 years old. So as I mentioned, there's a great documentary, Superstar in a Dress, all about Jackie. They interviewed some of Jackie's closest friends. Of course, like Hollywood Lawn's in it, Penny Arcade's in it, Harvey Firestein's in it. They share great stories. A lovely, lovely tribute. I highly recommend everyone go watch it. Um... And yeah, that's basically their stories. They were all so incredibly talented and definitely pioneers and all deserve to continually have their story told. And I hope listeners will, you know, Google all of these people, watch the documentaries on them, watch the Warhol films they were in, especially Women in Revolt, since it's Jackie, Holly and Candy all together. And it's just it's fun to watch these women playing these like women libbers and um it's actually like a fun film and another good book to check out would be downtown pop underground and um there are some other films mary heron made a film in the 90s called i shot andy warhol that's about valerie solanus the woman who shot andy but valerie was friends with jackie and candy and their characters in the film and stephen dorif actually plays candy and he's so fantastic. He really has her down. And Jamie Harold is Jackie Curtis. And um, yeah, there's plenty of material out there, plenty of books, plenty of documentaries. I hope people check them out. And uh, I hope everyone learned a little bit more about that song and these fascinating people who, you know, we have to thank for breaking boundaries and pushing the limits and just being who they are and, you know, I'm so thankful that they were. That was awesome. That was so fascinating, so interesting. A song that you've heard a thousand times in your life, and then it really comes to life again because you get to uncover and discover the muse in the song. It's been, I love it when you do your compilations. You, I don't know if I've ever done one, but every time you do one, (laughs) they're so fantastic. And I really enjoyed that. So thank you for your research and your hard work and the way you presented it. Thank you. Beautifully done. Amazing. And yeah, thanks to all our listeners. And if you want to get more of us, become a patron. Yeah. On our Patreon. Mm -hmm. And uh, keep checking out all the other amazing podcasts on Pantheon Network. That's right. uh, 
Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at Muses Podcast, Twitter at Shantine Links. And if you haven't yet, and you're one of those beautiful people that send us DMs mm-hmm. saying, I love your show, or if you're a new listener or a past listener and you haven't yet done it, we would really appreciate it. Actually, you know what's a good idea is somebody recently in a podcast that I was listening to links up iTunes reviews, like mm-hmm. the link, in the show notes. So instead of going into the iTunes category and doing this and that and finding it, maybe we'll just try and include that in the show notes. Yeah. Click on it and then leave us a rating and review and we really uh, appreciate it. Yeah. And I hope you had fun taking a walk on the wild side. friends this is mark Nell, executive producer of the table read podcast where imagination meets performance as we wrap up an incredible season one we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey season one was nothing short of extraordinary we delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works but what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors but wait The excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to Season 1, we are thrilled to announce the launch of Season 2. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make Season 2 even more memorable together.